0: Every time I deal with Muslim relationship counselling issues And you know, Imran, literally I've been in a room with a couple Trying to negotiate an amicable divorce I spent three, six hours in a room sometimes with a couple And as soon as they walk out the door They totally undermine everything that I do Why can't we be amicable in the Muslim space? Why does it have to be so acrimonious? And so bitter And it's like you know people have so much animosity and hatred for each other marry with ihsan and separate with ihsan
1: that's Ilyas karmani he's a qualified relationship therapist who for the last 25 years has been working with the muslim community counseling hundreds if not thousands of muslim couples He's someone with whom people readily share their most private, emotional, intimate, and dark parts of their lives. He's also the man who counselled me and my ex-wife during our failed marriage. A few days ago, I had the chance to sit down with Ilyas to hear about his experiences of counselling over the years, the problems he regularly encounters the solutions he proposes. And what he thinks is at stake if things continue as they are. Elias is a straight talker. So sit back and listen to the raw and unfiltered thoughts of someone who is at the very front line of the UK's Muslim relationship problems. I might have three new cases a week some
0: uh, obviously these are issues around marriage and divorce Uh, some of them are a light touch you know some of them obviously go through a formal process i I take everyone through a minimum of six sessions over a three-month period you know so that's the kind of basic relationship counseling situation
1: so 25 years ago Uh um why what was it about did this find you or were you looking to help people
0: it's it's a bit of both obviously as someone who trained as a psychologist as is a counselor and a therapist This is part of our core bread and butter, you know, this is the kind of work we do so and I think being in the Muslim space and uh, You know dealing in it from a what I call a Muslim centered perspective It was just inevitable that I would eventually move on to relationship issues because what I'm doing is if I'm working with individuals on, on a one-to-one basis Let's say it's a female suffering from depressive symptoms who has massive anxieties is deeply unhappy in her life but then you realize the source of that is her relationship is the fact that she's in an abusive relationship with her husband or she essentially married a stranger or there's a breakdown in the marriage and communication issues i have to bring the other the party in in order to create a resolution and create a, a solution so that we can go forward so then it just evolved because whether i'm working with the male or the female often in many cases the problems are related to relationship issues and so therefore you have to bring a component of relationship counseling into it
1: so you know that i've um i've begun this podcast series in order to for, for many reasons but one of one of the main reasons was so that we can discuss openly as a community the things which are impacting our relationships because yeah for me that's It seems anecdotally, it seems that we have some serious issues and they seem to be getting worse over time. Is that that fair?
0: I think on a global level, I think there are serious issues with regards to interaction between men and women, relationship issues. This is not something unique to whether it's the Muslim space, the non-Muslim space or various Muslim cultures. It's not unique to us. However, you're right, we have some unique challenges. One of those particular challenges, well, I'll, I'll talk about what I think are the three big challenges. The first is this that essentially we marry strangers. Mm. That's that, that's how I describe it. Mm. Essentially, we marry a complete stranger. No matter how much you've got to know them, no matter how much interaction you've had with them, you haven't lived with them, you haven't really experienced life with them. And everyone always gives their best face when they're in this period of getting to know each other and you're know, pursuing a, a perspective. You're only gonna show your best face so we essentially marry a stranger the number two big problem is this okay it's what i call profound incompatibility alongside marrying a stranger you actually then realize guess what i actually have very little in common with this person
1: (laughs) i that that, that just that's exactly (laughs) what i mentioned Uh uh-huh on my my episode that on the last episode couples therapy which was we we got married we performed the ritual of marriage mm-hmm. but we have no idea what marriage actually was as a concept yeah. and once you know the only thing we actually did have in common was being attracted to each other and having the same faith but once I are mean, life set and, in and so
0: let's say let's say if you were in the non-muslim space and you had that you'd, you'd meet someone there would be an attraction you would get to know each other you might go on a couple of dates, you might have some physical interaction with each other, even perhaps intimacy, and then you realize, guess what, nah, this isn't for me, and then you move on. That's how it generally operates, yeah? yeah? In the Muslim space, what we do is we marry a stranger, we realize there's profound incompatibility, and then there's massive social, cultural, and religious pressure to stay in this profoundly incompatible relationship, and this is where the toxicity then starts to develop, because it then leads to the fourth thing, People never seek help and yeah. they are not proactive in seeking help. Whenever a couple come to me, I commend them, I applaud them, I say I have the utmost respect for them because what they've done is that they've recognized the problem and they've gone to an expert to have it dealt with and they put their pride aside and they put their personal baggage and issues aside and they say look in the spirit of honesty and openness we want to try to diagnose what the problem is and move forward i commend that i had a case recently of a couple who've only been married nine months and they've now separated i commend them you know culturally people say oh no you've got to work at it you've got to work at it but why flog a dead horse this is two people who have both accepted you know what we made mistakes we realized actually there was a physical attraction, but there was actually profound incompatibility in our worldview, in our lifestyle, in our personality. And actually, that's something what I do call pre-marriage diagnostics, because we have to do this in the Muslim space. In the non-Muslim space, people just kind of learn this over a period of time. So I have some like five psychometric and social and personality tests that I can do on an individual to actually develop an index of compatibility between the two, and all the fault also to project what I call the fault lines in their relationship will be. And however, couples don't take me up on it, Imran. Do you know why couples don't take me up? They want to live in profound denial. They just want the world to be rosy, and they don't want me to apply my psychometric tests to actually find out whether they're compatible or not I'll give you a basic example one of them is a personality test I also use kind of Myers-Briggs and various personal inventories like that to identify what kind of a personality type or what kind of leadership skills or things like that communication skills they have strengths and weaknesses I look at life vision and I look at communication and decision making yeah these are kind of five tests that I do and, you know, based on these tests, you know, I could come up with a rating. Look, you guys, your person- personalities are complete opposites. You're going to clash on X, Y, and Z, and you're going to clash on... Now, the, the benefit of the test is that you can actually be... There can be a margin of, of difference and almost opposing difference. But you can learn, if you know about it, then you can deal with it proactively. The problem occurs, yeah, when people are massively in denial. Uh, you know again another test is strengths and weaknesses people will always play to their strengths and say I'm this I'm this I'm the best thing best thing since sliced bread then when it comes to the weaknesses list they won't put anything down or they're either insecure the weaknesses list is more important than the strengths list
1: you know when you're talking about it really does sound like the process you go through when you get a new job okay you know I know it's it's devoid of where's the romance Ah. where's the You know, people want to fall in love. But I suppose at the same time, you're saying that people aren't falling in love. They're falling in love with the idea of being married. Look, look, look. But not with the individual, because they're strangers. Romanticism
0: is a contaminant. You can say in this whole <laughs> process, you know, unfortunately, you know, in the Muslim space, we're brought up with these con- conflicting ideas that somehow we know we are, we're supposed to fall in love with each other. The verse in the Quran is a beautiful verse. Allah says, you know, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكَنُوا إِلَيْهِ وجعل بينكم Okay, so Allah Ta'ala, he says that, you know, from his ayat, he created the male and the female as Zawaj Perfect complements for one another. That's why I do compatibility Mm. So they live in peace because when you have the compatibility the same outlook the same paradigm the same worldview the same You are perfect complements to each other. That's what Zawaj it means that you dovetail with each other You have synergy with each other you have harmony that creates this harmonious and tranquil environment and from that comes love And mercy, alhamdulillah. It's a beautiful description of a process. So yes, love does occur in Muslim marriages, but it's going to be more likely to be nurtured with compatibility and Mm. peace and respect. And these qualities are there. I I would say the decision in the Muslim space is 80% head, 20% heart.
1: But even the head isn't really making sense because the way in which those decisions are being made. This construct of, of romanticism and Bollywood
0: and, and love stories and boyfriends and all this kind of stuff, yeah.
1: So why okay, so from from a Muslim perspective, looking at through Muslim sunglasses, yeah. Um, you think to yourself that you're doing something which is going to bring you closer to God. Mm-hmm. That is something that you should be doing, that it is a good thing. Okay. The stories that you are told are that it protects you, you know, yes. you know, You know that if you have desires, then you should basically get married. And okay. it's almost as if that's what you do and then you make the best of it. One of the things that I think is going on in the Muslim space in the UK, which is what I primarily experience, is a social conservatism, right. which means that when people do marry, that there is little space to talk about their problems, to resolve their issues um, and to do so. In, and there are very few people around... Like yourself, who are qualified and who have the experience to actually unpick the problems and help people with their emotional selves.
0: Yeah, I I think, look, one of the problems is that you're right, this massive cultural pressure to stay in unhappy marriages that comes from families who are not experts, you know, and then people will just prolong marriages.
1: You, what about you, the thing about God doesn't like, you know, Allah doesn't like divorce? And, 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 and divorce is... Okay, the, and I'm the, glad um, we're
0: finally talking about it. I'm glad you're doing the podcast talking about it. Divorce is a good thing. And I want to tra- challenge the whole paradigm. We do not take one textual proof in Islam to the exclusion of all of the proofs which exist out there. Are you saying that Allah doesn't will disprove of a, of a marriage in which two people are tearing each other to pieces emotionally and physically where children are seeing profound violence and abuse, are being brought up in a dysfunctional environment and that they somehow, somehow has to stay together because Allah is displeased with them. No, in this case, divorce is wajib. It's obligatory that they actually go on and actually find that they can complete half their religion with someone who will make them better human beings, not worse human beings. How can marriage make you a worse human being and a worse mm. believer? Mm. It's a profound distortion of these textual proofs that come from, a, I've got to say, a male-centric perspective or a cultural or a South Asian cultural perspective. Divorce is a good thing, and I would go and far. And this is not me being controversial. I would say this: that actually high divorce rates do not reflect a disintegration of social values. Actually, integrates. They actually are in, uh, indicative of, if if it, you know, you could say, a mature approach to Muslim marriage. Because here we have a case. People get married, two consenting adults get married, knowing what they're getting into. They try it, they see if it works or not. And then if it doesn't work, guess what? They say, you know what, we've tried it. We don't think it works. They've given it a couple of months, maybe a year or so, let's say enough time. And then they move their own separate ways. What's wrong with that? And then guess what? That experience then allows them to make a better informed choice in the second marriage they have. And I sometimes say it takes about three before some people get it right. You know mm. what's the problem? This is not indi- indicative of a dis of a, a disintegration of Islamic social fabric and morals and values. No, because they're doing it within the institution of marriage, and marriage is half your faith, and marriage is beloved to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. They're not doing it in the non-Muslim space, which is through just like I said, having serial relationships. You know, is, is far- it,
1: I suppose a lot of people may think that what you're suggesting. Is that is that Muslims would end up basically uh, devaluing the institution of marriage and uh, no because they're and, getting
0: they're getting married though imran let's be clear they are getting married here they are they're having nikah so therefore this not they actually if anything reviving because this is what we are doing we we actually have an the model we use is the Judeo Christian model believe it or not where you get into marriage and you stay in marriage. And then you have to maintain this because you see marriage as sacrosanct. Do you know what? The concept of marriage being sacrosanct, a sacred thing, is a Catholic concept. It's nothing to do with Islam. In in Islam, a marriage is a contract. It's not sacred. We ask Allah Ta'ala to witness it, of course. It's not sacred because if it's sacred, it can't be broken. That's why Catholics can't get divorced. Mm. And so, therefore, it's a contract between two adults. They engage in marriage and they stipulate, this is the way contractually we want our relationship. If that contract is not fulfilled, then they can both exit. That's it. You know, we have adopted a Hindu model from our ancestors and forefathers in, 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 in Hind, South Asia, where basically men and women get married and they have to stay married forever. And when when the the, the the male the husband dies, they, they used to burn the the woman as well on the mm. funeral pyre. Yeah, she that, never get that, that stopped now. Yeah. yeah, I know we know that stopped now, <laughs> but you know, the, but the concept still exists because then women they cannot get married after that,
1: which, okay. is, pr-
0: which okay. is profoundly abusive to her because mm. she's not on the, she's not past her sell by date. The Judeo Christian model again: this concept of marriage is sacred that you have to maintain monogamy, and then what you have instead is monogamy with Serial infidelity, which is essentially the model that we're seeing happening. And no, the Islamic model is a unique model. Consenting adults agreed to have a contract of marriage. And it was amazing in itself that 1400 years ago, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enabled women to contract marriage as an equal partner. I'm not talking, people might think, oh, Ilyas is going on a feminist vibe, but no, no. Women have the right to contract their own marriage. That's it and this was an amazing progressive step 1400 years ago and somehow, somehow we've lost our way So the Muslim model is that two people contract marriage, they marry, if it works, brilliant, amazing, alhamdulillah And if it doesn't work, they go their separate ways This and another one, Allah Ta'ala's when the word divorce is marriage, men, mentioned It has to be contextualized Imran and again I'll go back to you are you saying that a man who's in a marriage to a woman where he feels he's having mental health problems as a result of this mm. anxiety stress due to what maybe incompatibility he can't communicate with her she's from overseas he's from here uh, there are family issues in law issues and this is the male who's been affected and I have clients like this who have had you know serious mental health problems because of the marriage and some he, he can't exit the marriage no, the maqasid of the sharia is hifz al-aql, you've got to protect the mental state And so therefore if this marriage is detrimental to his mental state, he needs to exit the marriage So the, the, the proof has to be contextualized that a, a divorce done with an unjust reason, for an unjust reason, for an abusive reason for Where there's no legitimacy to do so, where someone has been clearly oppressed from the marriage contract Of course is displeasing to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la, will be held to account But in other situations it's the best thing to do because we have two people in a profoundly toxic abusive incompatible relationship now look uh, I, i don't want you to think that as a relationship counselor i'm the person who nails the coffin yeah i'm not saying that because when i work with a couple i say we're working on this to exhaust every possibility of seeing how we can make this relationship work. And then when we've exhausted possibilities and we're still at the point where you guys are, uh, your relationship is irreconcilable, then of course we have that nuclear option. We have the option of of divorce. Up until that point, of course, we do mediation, we do counselling, we do interpersonal work. And, you know, obviously I've developed a whole range of techniques to help people, you know, build the three foundations of positive relationships communication, trust and respect. Now what I mean by communication isn't just speaking, I'm talking about listening, understanding, being emotionally empathetic for one another, understanding nonverbal communication, having the same because com- from communication comes everything else in terms of decision making in terms of that builds the trust and the connection between two people and that creates the mutual respect in a relationship. you know so I work on these things with couples and i and i try to do it so that they can exhaust every possibility before they go to the final option
1: so looking at it from a personal perspective um, are you finding that the people who who are approaching you tend to be from the second generation of immigrants
0: I I have second generation third generation uh, interesting I have non-muslim clients as well they know that I come I work from a Muslim centered perspective but they also want to benefit because they see it's a good as a good methodology for working but I suppose but, so, well, but, at, yeah most of my clients at the moment I would say second and third generation
1: okay um, at the end of, of my last episode I suggested what counseling was what it meant to me and I said really counselors or counseling or therapy isn't there to keep you together yeah. it's there to help you to understand more about your emotional self
0: yes absolutely
1: um, and what you want from your relationship and in my case or in our case as as you know uh, we decided that we both wanted different things yeah and we and we parted but what I did say was that the therapy enabled us to part on good terms brilliant yes And, and so, and I, and so I, and really I, that's what therapy that's what therapy is about but Absolutely. just just this thing about the second gen what's what's the issue here i mean what are the what are the problems that this generation is is feeling this uh, these these children of immigrants you know why why do they seem in disarray when it comes to their okay I,
0: I, 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 okay the second generation phenomena is this okay f- first we have a lot of emotional damage in our community through the second generation experience of cultural conflict of being brought up between conflicts of double life syndrome Mm. of having this cultural life and then having this clandestine other existence and this created what i call a profound reactionary mindset the experience of racism exclusion isolation discrimination these have also been the second generation experience in mainstream society and uh, so There's a lot of baggage that second generation have been dealing with. And I think it created what I call a reactionary mindset. The other challenge with this is that we do not have an openness with which we talk about these complex issues. I often say people spend more have have more diligence in choosing a mobile phone than choosing a life partner.
1: (laughs) It's probably because you understand what you want from a mobile phone more than you want from a partner. Because we don't have the spaces where we have honest,
0: mature discussion. Imams aren't doing it either. They just provide a very simple you know, have sabbat how can you dis- how can you... Have uh, have with-
1: patience, or, or read more Qur'an.
0: No, no I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a real life case in my home. So people are saying to the sister who, and I facilitated this divorce, because she was profoundly emotionally damaged, and I had a letter from her GP that was saying that her abuse, her mental health is directly a result of this relationship. People are saying to her, because she doesn't want to disclose, and obviously I have privy to the whole story, uh, and, and the evidence as well. They say, oh sister, why didn't you work at it? Oh, sabar kar, sabar karo, oh fear Allah. Or maybe it was your fault. You've done something wrong, clearly, to displease your husband. Because we tend to be more, like I said, problematizing of the women. What they don't know is that the husband is a paedophile who abused a 12-year-old girl. And so do you expect now this Muslim woman, your sister, your daughter, to live with a man who abused a child to have that mental imprint to be intimate with this man as well to cook you expect this man who is being charged with the sexual abuse of a 12 year old to you know and she is a have suffered with it come on this is the whole point of why our, our our community is profoundly in denial we have massive challenges we need to rise to these challenges with a maturity and an openness and creating stronger kind of frameworks for supporting people in marriage so i'm a big advocate of young people getting married as early as possible within the law in this country absolutely and i say look provide them wrap around counseling and mentoring support mm. so that it helps and because Deal with issues proactively before they become more developed. Nip it in the bud. And we need to change the paradigm that, you know, that this thing, again, another distorted text that Allah ta'ala put hijab, a cover on the relationship between a man and a woman, so they've caught, therefore they cannot disclose the matters of privacy between a husband and a wife. That refers to in the general sense. It doesn't refer to in the sense of going to a qualified and trained practitioner to help you deal with problems within your relationship. It doesn't refer to that. Okay, so that's what I want to have the wraparound support, to have the counselling support, to have the, uh, you know, space where they can come. Look, we're having these problems. Can you help us? And then we are able to deal with it. That's how you develop strong institutions of of marriage. That's how you protect the institution of marriage.
1: So you'd agree that, I mean, especially with with, with young people, but generally, if you are getting together with somebody, there needs to be a certain degree of... uh, research and qualification beforehand about those various points that you mentioned and also uh, actually, I would, I, actually I, I, throughout yeah. throughout the marriage. See so this is the other thing that I've concluded anyway. Um yeah. that you actually need good quality advice, call that counseling, call that whatever, throughout your relationship. You need that third party to bounce ideas off somebody you. that you both respect and can we look at other cultures and we think in this country we believe that counselling and therapy is something you only do as a last chance saloon it's when things are really bad you bring somebody else in and that's just not Muslims that's generally the idea nobody really admits to being counselled as a a couple because it signals you're in real problems whereas go over to the states and everyone's got their own therapist but it's different because it's seen as a way of just progressing in life and learning from somebody who's a professional
0: absolutely no no you should have mentoring stroke counseling absolutely you know are you saying that an individual or a couple can't benefit from someone who has 25 years of experience of relationship counseling of course but again the, the part of the problem is this in, in our whole muslim space it's a reactive space we only deal with stuff when problems occur so we're also in profound denial that you know there is a problem you know and and then we have these really distorted cultural values that interplay, we have interference from grandparents and parents, you know, we have interference from, from all these other kind of elements of society. Uh, so you're right, it's, it's, it's really difficult, I find, to actually, uh, you know, my work is just scratching, I, I call it the tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's what I'm dealing with. The, le- the scale of issues in our community are massive in terms of what i call the emotional well-being and the mental health challenge in our community it's a massive issue and uh, uh and, and unfortunately we're not not dealing with it and now i'm increasingly now uh, i'm involved with a mufti we are giving khullahs now I, I give the and a is where obviously the female seeks a divorce through an islamic judge and islamic authority sharia authority And I'm increasingly doing this now because we find there are so many women in our community who are living in these profoundly abusive and toxic situations and nobody's coming to assist them and they're dropping out of the religion. And that's why this is so important as well. Because look, marriage is half of your faith, according to the hadith of the Prophet And when this vital area of us as humans who are social beings is not being fulfilled, it means that we will not hold on to our religion and that we will then end up and following you know dropping out and flipping you know from Islam because we just become like I said profoundly again reactive fire pan from the frying pan in, into the into the fire so yeah we have these real challenges I think we need to wake up and start to realize that let's take a much more informed mature open approach to this and let's talk to experts let's go to people who have experience and wisdom Let's, 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 let's you know build on this well, there, there is
1: there is a slight problem um, yeah. not in, with the suggestion but with its implementation so mm-hmm. I just I mean I, I, I've known you a long time and I know what your workload is like and I know you also don't say no so you take a lot of the burden of, of these issues on your own shoulders and there aren't enough people like yourself around I said one of the things about being counselled is that uh, you need to trust who it is that's giving you advice and so whilst I we did go to relate um, I never fully trusted it because they weren't me they didn't represent me I, you know they may have a professional qualification yeah. but they weren't Muslim they didn't understand the Muslim experience and so there was always a slight distance so we need people from the community who can step forwards and train in this area because this isn't a case of going and asking you know a well-meaning friend right um or um you know going to ask your local imam you know unless of course this is something that they they understand so whilst i I agree you know people need to open up uh how are we going to plug that gap
0: well whether it's on the relationship side or when there's generally dealing with the mental health issues in our community we need hundreds and hundreds of Therapists and counsellors, you know, and you're right the Demand out there is not being met by the supply of counsellors and therapists Interestingly, the role of an imam is this The role of an imam is pastoral care Not religious instruction in the mosque or religious observance You know 80% of the role of the imam I believe is pastoral care i.e safeguarding your flock working with them on the issues so they have to actually be trained in counseling but they're not most of the imams that are trained in darl al are just trained theologically they're not trained in counseling and and because what i find bizarre is that they're dealing with human beings at critical junctures of their life i do a course on professional ethics for imams and uh, and counseling and, and and basics around counseling you're dealing with people at critical junctures birth marriage and death and yet you haven't been trained in dealing with human complexity, so yeah, there is. A, this is a training need for imams. Uh, interestingly, I'm doing a course for imams in a couple of weeks' time on mental health. So, and a lot of imams are taking that up. So, imams are increasingly aware. I've also trained imams in Birmingham and in London around these particular issues. So, yes, now we there is a, a bit of a change that's taking place. uh uh, as imams obviously realize that they're dealing with much more challenging and complex issues they need to step up but then there's another issue that some imams have or which is their own confirmation bias you know that if they have a bias that oh no i'm going to support the elders or i'm just going to go along and i don't then then sometimes they are reinforcing their confirmation bias you have to work in a completely non-judgmental open-minded way understanding that your objective is not just to keep relationships together to do the best thing for these two human beings and also when there's children involved it's very important that the welfare of children is maintained and it's paramount when I work with a couple I always start off by saying look your children have a right to have two parents who are present who are who are are good providing good quality parenting for them If that can be done better outside of the institution of marriage then it's better if in marriage you are failing to do it so you know sometimes you've got to realize what the what the reference points out so imams need to be trained this is the role of an imam you're right we need what we call more muslim relationship counselors and therapists out there and unfortunately part of the challenge is that most people can't afford to pay for it you know, when we're talking about roughly the price varying across the country is between 50 to £75 pounds per session, mm. and you know, I'm doing a minimum of let's say six to ten sessions with people, a lot of people actually can't afford it. You know, I know it doesn't it seem like a lot, but actually a lot of people can't afford it, which then makes it a middle class model, but it doesn't reach the masses. So somehow, how do we resource all of this stuff? This is another particular challenge. Places like Relay aren't bad. I train Relate counsellors, and one of the things I train them in is cultural competence, working effectively with Muslim couples. And there is an openness to do it, but they'll never truly get There'll nuance. There'll always be a gap. There'll they'll always want, be a gap. Absolutely, they do not understand nuance, and they don't understand the kind of challenges within the Muslim space. So although it, there, there can be some benefit in it, it's not ideal. If we are going to deal with the next ten years of challenge, we need to increase the number of Uh, relationship counsellors that we have and and the geographical of reach of that across the Muslim communities in the UK you know by over a thousand percent
1: so just um I mean this this has been really interesting just one final point to Mm. kind of uh, conclude on marriage for Muslims inevitably means children it's not It doesn't that ne-
0: no, that's again it doesn't mean it,
1: inevitably. Doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be, but that's the experience, isn't it? That people marry and they have children. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um and they have children relatively quickly because of, for whatever reason they're encouraged to, yeah. Okay. Um so therefore we can't really look at marriage without considering the impact on children. And you kind of touched on it there, you know, the fact that their welfare becomes paramount. What without painting a doomsday scenario, right? With, from my perspective, I look at youth. I look at our youth, um, and I see the stories that are appearing, and I worry, right? I worry that they're overrepresented in prison. They're underrepresented in employment. Um, kind of all of the stats that you look at. They, yeah. they, we just, live in we live in
0: the disproportionately in the in the most impoverished areas in the country, in the most deprived areas in the country. High levels of child. Poverty, high levels of economic inactivity, high levels of social exclusion, less involved in decision making. Yeah, the list goes on and on.
1: So, what's what's going to happen here if we don't tackle this institution of marriage? If we don't help people to become, uh, I see it as key to to actually Im- change, Imran, yeah. changing the narrative.
0: No, it's it's you know I think it's it's even much more profound than that. This is our very it's existential. 67 percent of the muslim community in the uk at the moment are under the age of 25. i have five children all under the age of 25. Mashallah. alhamdulillah <laughs> so that's 67 percent of my unit and generally in the muslim space 4.8 f- f- average S- that means the demographic group 13 to 21 will define the next 20 years by 2040 they will be a profoundly uh, critical demographic group However, and we, that is the Muslim community in the UK on a a global level, we are 67% of our community under the age of 25. We have not got the institutions to deal with their, their, their social reality in 2040. That's it, fact. No one's even talking about it. We've sprogged out loads of children without the quality of building institutions to nurture them for the next generation. You know what the Japanese say? That my decisions will affect the next 30 generations. 30? I know, 30. That's, thousand, the, that's the Japanese. That's a,
1: th- that's a thousand years.
0: Mine's is what is for dinner next week. <laughs> Roti salad next week. What is it? <laughs> Now coming back onto it, you said marriage is for the purpose of children. Yeah, and right. No, I didn't say
1: for the purpose. I'm saying that's one of the that's, things that, that comes with the Muslim mindset, which no, is marriage, pro- children. is children. important.
0: We know that, that that is an important aspect of it, and marriage, because obviously the human race continues because of it. But it's essentially, again, these are what like I said: ideas from the subcontinent of India. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said, "You marry for four reasons: for beauty, for a family name, for wealth." and piety, and he said parity was the best of the four but it means the other three are just as valid you can marry just because of beauty i.e. you want to have sexual relations with the other part p- uh, The party when i say that to people oh no it doesn't mean that so what do you think beauty means that you just two people just look at each other and that's it come on okay so no look at that look at what islam says you can marry for beauty for wealth for a family name Okay, for reputation, i.e., and for piety. So no, uh, and and so I really want to move on to it. You know what? I said, two people who are—I want you to think about how illogical all of this sounds. Two people who are strangers marry, who are fundamentally incompatible with one another, who have brought their own baggage that they haven't unloaded yet, and then they bring another human being into the world, who they're supposed to nurture and develop. It doesn't make sense.
1: How many? That reminds me of something. How many times has a couple said to you, "Who are who are in, who are in trouble? They're thinking about having another child because yeah. they think that might help."
0: And you know what? How st- and and people tell them this stuff, <laughs> and it is the stupidest idea in the world. <laughs> Look, let me tell you the classic scenario I deal with: two people marry, incompatible, don't get on. First child comes along, so we go through the honeymoon period, all of the excitement, and they realise, you know what? We don't actually like each other. But then the first child comes along. And then the euphoria of the first child, the excitement of the first child keeps them together. Da, da. Then it wears off. And the second child comes along. Okay? And then, you know, same thing. Then the third child comes along and they realize, oh, we have to stay together because we have children now. you have to stay. And after seven years, they actually start to become two. I always say, it, and I'm, I'm, tragically I'm generally 90% of the time right, two normal people start to tear pieces out of each other because basically you know
1: they're stuck they, they are they don't stuck, want to be uh, you know and and, and
0: and they are stuck and they start to become and, and and then infidelity takes place porn addiction takes place that you know go- i did
1: i did say don't paint a doomsday scenario no inside. no no
0: so so look they're, they're, but there's a way out there's a very simple way out and that's this in two two mature adults marry and they say look we're not going to have kids until we realize that our relationship is absolutely rock solid because we do not think we should bring another human being into this world unless You know, we can both be really the best, provide the best possible parenting for that child. So that's what they do. So I say a minimum of one year to two years before even thinking of having children. And in that, you know, enjoy yourself, have fun as a couple, get to know each other, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and not immediately have to deal with this. And whenever I say this to a couple, they say, oh, how do we not have children? And that reflects how retrograde our Muslim space is. Because people don't even know that they're allowed to use contraception.
1: I think well, that's they, sort of, they believe that they're not allowed
0: well to. this is it someone's told them clearly they're not allowed to because it's a non-muslim plot to stop muslims from having kids and uh you know and literally i have families where men have gone and sprogged kids here there and everywhere and they're not fulfilling responsibilities for all of them and then we find as young people who have profound problems and you know as we spoke about criminal justice and etc cetera, etc cetera. so cetera. You know no take the mature approach wait till your relationship is rock solid then decide to have children children do not pull two people together you know they actually if anything they add their own stress they they can and, and and people stay together just because of the children and again look you don't have to the companions of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam married and divorced they looked after each other's kids they brought in each other people maintained parenting responsibilities you know what they are supposed to be a model community for us, and so it worked for them, so it can work for us. And I want to say this, you know, look, every time I deal with Muslim relationship counselling issues, and you know, Imran, literally I've been in a room with a couple trying to negotiate an amicable divorce. I spent three, six hours in a room sometimes with a couple, and as soon as I walk out the door, they totally undermine everything that I do. Why can't we be amicable in the Muslim space? Why does it have to be so acrimonious, and so bitter, and it's like, you know, people have so much animosity and hatred for each other Marry with Ihsan and separate with Ihsan, with goodness You know, this is a man, you know, you two people were married to each other, you had time, you, you know, you, you, were, you were companions for each other how does love turn to so much hate and bitterness? And it comes down to families and in-law issues. We haven't even started. Money. Money but, you know, I just think it's part of the... It, it, it's so antithetical to our values of forgiveness, of being magnanimous, of being humble, of, of wishing the best for others, that suddenly the person who was your Zawaj then becomes your absolute enemy. It's just, it, it, you know, it, it's profoundly kind of... Uh, 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 It's a profound statement of what our Muslim community is like that we do divorce so badly So badly
1: Mm.
0: And we're so acrimonious about it And just on this point of children You know I talked about doing psychological testing to find out whether two people are compatible Why are we entitled to bring up children? Who gave us the entitlement that somehow I'm allowed to bring another human being in this world And then nurture and construct this human being when my own constructor I'm already messed up myself and then suddenly I'm going to bring another human being and mess that human being out. No, if you're serious about being a parent, then tell you what, come on my parenting program and let me do your psychological assessment of whether you're fit to be a parent. No one's going to do that. You know why? Because most people will fail. I'm not saying people shouldn't have kids here. I'm just saying that if you come to a am I fit to be a parent program, I run the Caring Dads program in, in London which is for Muslim fathers who have been abusive to their children, and we put them on a 12-week program to then tell them that they're fit to be parents again. I commend those men, they've been violent, and they've accepted their violence, and they go on a 12-week program to to overcome their violence. And the, in the discussions we have in that 12-week program with these with these Muslim dads, they have honest disclosure, honest disclosure, and that's why they, they will, there will be some improvement in their parenting. So come on a parenting program and let me do your parenting assessment. It doesn't mean that you're not fit to be a parent. It says that these are your weaknesses, these are your challenges, these are the problems that you'll have, and this is how you can overcome it.
1: Okay, there, there, I'm guessing there are quite a few people who are not going to be able to make it to your parenting program, right? So what's, what is the advice to people who are either thinking about getting married yeah. or are married and are unhappy in that marriage or are considering divorce? What, 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 okay. what's, what's the first step? Okay, right. Couples
0: getting married. Step number one, compatibility, 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 you know, make sure this is a person you know well. You know, within the Muslim etiquette, you know this person well enough that there has been disclosure and honesty. You have third party references for this person as well which will again provide a robust analysis you 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 look at multiple levels personality practicality physicality spirituality life values outlook politics you know skill set decision making look at them and their families as well because you're they're a product of their family's construction you know so compatibility is my number one criterion Make sure the person that you are getting married to, you know as much as possible. Do you know what? I'm shocked today that I talk to couples, you know, third generation. Mm. You know, some of these people are highly intelligent in their own professions and fields. I say, how long did you get to know the person? Oh, we had one meeting. What? You had one meeting to choose a life partner. And now you're tearing your hair out because your whole life is... Completely toxic because you're married to someone who you don't like and don't want to be with, yeah, and you can't exit that marriage because of your family telling you you had a 30, 40,000 pound wedding and you've got to stay in it. Come on, man, you know, this is just this, this makes a mockery. One meeting. Okay, so, you know, so. I, I, and then the bizarre thing is, yeah, sometimes it works because even with the best formula that I have and the most science I can apply, it's an art, not a science. It works sometimes because Alhamdulillah, you know, it's with Allah Ta'ala And so ultimately there has to be a bit of trust in Allah Because you can't con- control all of the variables here You know, so there is an element of trusting Allah Do the most diligence that you can do and Then trust in Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala And seek istikhara Allahumma inni astu khayduka, oh Allah be still good in this matter For me And there has to be an element of trust in Allah But trust which is driven by diligence
1: I've invited um, people who listen to this podcast to send in questions um, and make comments. Um, I'm I'm kind of reticent to offer those answers because obviously I have one particular experience and I don't want people walking away. You know, I'm sure there are things that I can say which people can apply, which which is all well and good, but I'd rather they... They hear from somebody like you. So, are you are you happy to, to I'm, answer I'm, questions? I, I
0: think it's so important. We provide the space to have that conversation. Yes, absolutely on that
1: discussion. Thanks for taking part, man. Thank you. You've been listening to a bonus episode of Divorced Muslim Dad with. Elias Kamani, who is a Muslim relationship therapist. You'll find a timeline of the discussion and of the questions asked in the show notes. For those of you who are new here, firstly where have you been and secondly uh, you should know that I release an episode, a new episode of Divorced Muslim Dad every two weeks but regular listeners will know that uh, that can vary slightly. Um, So genuinely the best thing to do is to subscribe via a podcast service whether that be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, you know wherever you get your podcast there'll be a way to subscribe. That way you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is available. Um, So in that last episode you've You've heard that Elias is, you know, he's kindly agreed to respond to your comments and answer your questions as much as he can about relationships. So if there's something that's getting under your skin, is bugging you, is on your mind, please do email us at divorcedmuslimdad at gmail.com. Or you can direct message me on Instagram or Twitter at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. That's at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. And we promise to respond and reply to everybody who does get in touch. We will respond. It might take us a couple of days, but we will do that. Ultimately, this podcast that you're listening to is about helping people to live their best relationship lives. So if that's something that you support if that's something that you believe in, there are ways in which you can help. You can help build this community. Number one, you can leave a review on iTunes with a meaningful comment. Number two, you could post on social using the DM Dad hashtag. And number three, and probably the most powerful, is if you can spend a moment to think of maybe one or two people You think would benefit from hearing this and to share an episode with them directly through text or through WhatsApp. That's it. Those are the options. Pretty straightforward. In the next episode, we're going to be going back to our old format. And I'm going to be tackling what I can only describe as the subject of having a psychological... Dysfunction, something that still to an extent impacts my life today, and most definitely had a profound effect on my marriage. See you soon. Asalaamu Alaikum.